chapter 1. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll start. Father, we come before your throne to hear your word. Uh, Lord, you have given us history. You are the uh, creator of history. You are the creator of the, and sustainer of the present. And Father, it is you who is before us. Uh, and the future is in your control completely. And Father, I just rejoice in that this day. Uh, Father, um, help us. Help us to understand uh, what you're laying out here. Uh, so we know that it's a foundation in which we're going to build off of. And I just praise you for drawing us tonight. I praise you for what you're going to do. And uh, show us uh, with amazement um, how you took this people, Israel, and even to this day are using them for your glory, for your praise in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. If you look at your outline, I, I gave you this last week, and it's basically the first section of this uh, is Israel and Egypt, and that goes through chapter 4. Uh, and um, this is after uh, the death of uh, Joseph, and it lays it down. But what you see is God's hand upon this people, a covenant people, and his hands upon it, they are flourishing. They are growing. Um, and they are, um, how shall I say it? Prosperous. Very, very prosperous. Okay, so tonight we're just going to look at chapter 1 because that deals with the population explosion, but it also deals with the oppression of pharaohs. And I, I want you to understand that the oppression of pharaohs would have been multiple pharaohs. All right, so uh, when you see, uh, the next time you see, uh, what is it, the Ten Commandments with uh, Charlton Heston, Next time you see that, and they keep talking about Ramses, um, no, <laughs> that's not right, uh, but that's okay. Uh, Charlton Heston does a good job of Moses. Uh, doesn't Yule Brenner Pharaoh? Yeah, that's what, I, that's what I was thinking. So the king and I and all that, ball-headed, yeah, ball-headed guy. Pharaoh has to be ball-headed. Okay, anyway. Um, let's look at it. First seven verses, you see a population explosion. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Okay, now, remember what we, that was. That was when they found out Joseph was the right-hand man of, of Pharaoh. There was a famine in the land, and these are the ones who came, okay? And each household, you have Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Okay, so we already know that Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they are born in Egypt. All right, and so that... That year when Jacob arrives, we are looking at um, 70 people. Okay, now I'm going to give you some mathematic things. The mathematic thing, I should probably have a whiteboard or something to do this with, but I'm not going to because you're just going to have to trust me, I guess. Okay, <clears throat> verse 7 says, but... Okay, Joseph died, verse 6, Joseph died and all his brothers and all of that generation. All right, so the covenant people, the 12 original tribes, okay, of Israel, none of them went back to Israel. 
Okay, back to the land of Canaan. All right? Look what he says. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. All right? Um, They did a census. If you look at Numbers chapter 1, they did a census at Sinai. Okay? And the census at Sinai said there were 603,000 males 20 years and older. Okay? If they represent a fourth of the population, you see why I have a fourth? They're just the males. So you've got to have at least the females and you're going to have kids. So if they're a fourth of the total population, then they numbered about two million. Okay, it's like we we, we miss some of this stuff occasionally. Uh, It's like Jesus fed 5,000, okay? And you know what? He probably fed 20,000 because it says there were 5,000 men he fed. All right, um... If they had wives and they had kids, how many did he feed? Okay, so be real careful when you're reading the scripture because there's specifics. He said when he fed 4,000, he fed 4,000 men. Well, if all the men were there and none of them had wives, then he fed 4,000. But if some of them had wives, how many did he feed? More. And what if they had kids? More. So when you said he fed the 5,000, you could safely say he fed 20,000. All right, so the, the census that was taken in Numbers chapter 1, all right, said that there were 603,000 males 20 years and older. If they represent a quarter of the total population, then the Israelites were about 2 million. Okay. Now, people debate this and said, if you went into a country with 70 people, how do you come out with 2 million? That's impossible. Um, if you have an annual growth rate of just 5%, it would increase the population from 100 to 2 million in only 215 years. Did you get that? And some of you got that blank. Well, math, we gotta, I got to have a math test to go to heaven. Okay. So when you think about these old boys going out and crossing the Red Sea and hanging out in the desert, you need to understand they would be stirring up a big old cloud of dust. You got two million people out wandering around in the desert, you're going to stir up some dust. Okay. Then you take on top of that their livestock and all the rest of it. All right. So if you take 5% growth, all right. In 215 years, you can take 100 people and make 2 million. All right. So when you read that, it says that the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Yeah. Okay. It went from the 70 originals. Okay. Plus Joseph and his family. And with, in a very short time, moved to roughly 2 million. At the Exodus, um, you would be safe at 1.5 to 2 million. 
leaving Egypt. All right? Which, now start thinking about that because I want you to remember with the angel of death comes cruising through town and we got pain, uh, blood of the lamb over the doorposts and the lintel, right? You got two million. All right, let's say it's just one million households. How many sheep were slaughtered? They figured that on Christ's crucifixion, it would have been possible between 1.5 and 2 million sheep to be slaughtered during the Passover. Okay, which has always fascinated me because if you come out of the Temple Mound area and you go across the Kidron up into the Mount of Olives, all the drainage for the sacrifices came through. They had a duct system, uh, uh, gutters. And it would have come in and then it would have been running across the Kidron and the blood would have been coming down into the Kidron. So when Jesus was leaving and with Peter and the disciples to go across to the Garden of Gethsemane to be arrested, he would have walked across the Kidron and it would have been flowing with the blood of all the lambs that were Passover lambs. And he was going to be the last Passover. So, I mean, there's just stuff that you just sit there and scratch your head and say, oh, dude. All right. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Okay. Um, I am of the mindset that it's uh, Amenetheth the first. All right. That, that, that date, his reign, 1546 to 1525, he fits um he fits right in there, you know, and they debate it. I don't know. It may be, um, it was the second, Amenophis the second could have been. Um, I know that there's a good possibility that a new king who arose in verse eight, who did not know Joseph. And he says to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Okay, and so now there is a beginning of a persecution. Was that the same Pharaoh? Okay, uh, a lot of debate. It don't seem to fit. So anyway, he concludes this. They're getting, there's too many of them. And everything they do, they prosper at. All right, now, the Pharaoh that brought Joseph into royalty saw that God favored this man, all right? And by favoring this man, this Pharaoh says, I want some of that. I want some of that favor to kind of fall over on me, all right? But now we're a couple generations out and they don't remember. Uh, You know, I see it in our country to a point, okay? Our country was based on Christian values. One of the problems with a democracy is, is that if you don't have a value system, then what do you have? Well, I can tell you what you have. You have anarchy, okay? Uh, Socrates said that uh, Greek died, uh, was the only democracy that ever lasted. And he says, the problem with a democracy is, is everyone wants their rights. And if everyone gets their rights, then all you have is anarchy. And that's, you know, and, and so for a democracy or a representative republic or something like that to work, there has to be a foundation that sets in place. Okay, that is, and it, I hate to say this, but it has moral absolutes. All right, um, you know, and I, I get people say, well, you can't legislate morality. Really? 
Are you telling me that murder is not immoral? That seems immoral to me. So I believe that you can legislate morality without a whole lot of problem. You can stealing is immoral, and in that against the law. I'm thinking. Well, sometimes, okay. I mean, unless you're an elected official, um, but but do you see what I'm trying to get at? So when you see this, I see our country was founded on what principles. Biblical principles. And so now we are how many years out? 225, 226, something like that. I don't remember the exact number. But we're that far out. And what are we trying to get away from? Uh, We're trying to get away from what our foundations were. We are trying to turn our backs on God. Okay. Um, You know, I heard a Johnny Cash song that says, uh, we all want to go to heaven, but we don't want no God. And that's true. You know, I, I want to be saved. I just don't want you messing with me while I'm here. And, and, that, and that's the way the country has slowly moved. I mean, it wasn't a great shift, but you hear it more and more and more and more. Uh, and then, then I look at it, the effect that it has on the church, and I see it in the church. All right? So this is some of the stuff that we have to pay attention to because Pharaoh here is saying, you know what? I don't know the blessings of these Jews. Okay, the people in America right now, they don't know the blessing of the Christians. You know where public school came from? Christians. Do you know where hospitals came from? Christians. You know where higher education came from? From the Christians. And now if you look at any of those three institutes, what are they? Yeah. Okay, but, but, but this is the kind of stuff that you watch it. See, we can learn that Pharaoh, listen, Pharaoh never converted. It wasn't like he became a Jew. No. He still had all of his multiple gods. And he said, you know what? This guy's their God is evidently doing something because everything they touch turns to gold. All right. But what happens is we get in a mindset and you see it. You'll see it with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was surrounded by all these Jews and started treating them as that God wanted them treated. And then one day he stands up and says, look what I've done. What does America do? We look at it right now and we say, look at what we've done. You know, and I remember, remember 9-11? Everybody was, I can't believe this. Why did God allow this to happen? All the rest of it. And then the next thing comes out of our mouths is what? Give us a target. Give us something we can blow up. And we'll all be happy. And it wasn't say, it didn't do anything to the spiritual condition of the United States. Not a thing. You know, we had a couple of, a week or so of mourning, and then we sat back, pulled up our boots and says, give us a target. We'll, we'll blow up a desert or something. We'll show them. Okay, but you see what I'm trying to get at? This is a foundation of what humanity is and it hasn't changed come let us deal wisely with them or else they will multiply verse 10 and the in the event of a war now listen to this we have a whole bunch of illegal immigrants and if we have a war they're going to fight with us hmm sounds weird doesn't it or if we have an illegal immigrant and he joins the military, then he gets a fast track to citizenship. We can make him Egyptian right away. 
in the event of a war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us, fight against us, and depart from the land. They'll whip our tails. So here's what Pharaoh decides to do. So he appointed taskmasters. Okay. Um, Basically what he did is he organized the Jews, the Hebrews, into large um, labor gangs. Okay. Um, Under the Egyptian um, foremen, taskmasters. Um, But they use a Hebrew word here over them to afflict them with hard labor, okay? Um, this was prophesied in Genesis fifteen thirteen. okay? Uh, the word Pharaoh means great house. Uh, it's a title. It's not a personal name. Uh, it's uh, for the king who live in a great house, all right? So what he does is he puts taskmasters over these labor camps, And he puts them at hard labor, and they build for Pharaoh storage cities, Fitham, and Ramses. Okay? So these great massive cities, these Jews under slave labor, build for them. But look at verse 12. Look what God does. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out. So they were in dread of the sons of Israel. It's, we can't even work them to death. They just get stronger. More of them. Then the Egyptians, verse 13, compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. Okay, we're going to make you work harder now. Harder now. And they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field and all of their labors which they rigorously imposed upon them. Okay, we're going to work you into the dirt. Okay? Then, verse 15 says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Now, here's something that you need to, 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 to pay attention to. The writing of this text makes it hard to understand if this was a Jewish midwife or a midwife working among the Jews. All right? All right, so be real careful with that one. But he says, the king of Egypt goes to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was named Pua. All right? So the names don't fit the Jewish context. They seem to be Egyptian. So we don't know the, the way of the writing. I can't tell if it's a Jewish midwife or a midwife in the Jewish culture. All right. And he says, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon their birthing stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. And if it is a daughter, then you shall, then she shall live. All right, so here's what Pharaoh concludes. We're making a bunch of strong men, so let's quit making men. All right? But look what happens. Verse 17. The midwives feared God. They feared God. Okay, okay. 
I do not see that anymore. I do not see a fear of God. I do not see a reverence for God. It's just not around. These midwives did. And they did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but they let the boys live. Okay? Now, it is possible, it is possible that these two midwives were ahead of a whole, like a, an organization, union midwives, and they were the union bosses. Um, because I doubt if you just had two midwives with maybe a million Jewish women. And, and then they start having more children because they're working harder and harder. So I don't, I don't understand any of that. But anyway, they feared him. And they, they feared God. And the Egyptians were fearing the Jews. They were becoming too, too numerous. Okay? The reason they want to get rid of the Jewish boys is... Because then the Jewish girls would have to marry who? Egyptians. Right? But they feared it. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing? And let the boys live. Now, watch this next one because I've, I've seen, boy, I've heard this thing get butchered to pieces. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. Okay. That text right there by itself is not really that complicated. The text that comes after it is one that gets everybody in trouble. So God was good to the midwives. Oh, wait a minute. Did the midwives make this up to cover their butts? Therefore, they lied. Or were the Hebrew women truly, they did not have long labors. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. But I can tell you this. The reason God was good to them has nothing to do with whether they lied or not. The reason God was good to them was because they were saving Jews. That's why they have a, a, a pathway of honor that goes up to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And every time you see some, somebody who was involved with saving Jews, uh, they're all Gentiles. But everyone who saved a Jew, they've got a tree and a plaque. Uh, the movie that, what's his name did? Schindler's List has got a, and he's got a tree. Corey Tinboom has got a tree in it all. They just go right up through here and all of these people who ever helped save Jews have this, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a street of honor. And I mean, this thing is decked out. I mean, they got, they, they trim these trees and they plant and they water these trees. And they take care of this because these are Gentiles that help save Jews. Okay? Uh, when I was in Israel uh, four years ago, you would watch and they would have these um, groups of uh, like, uh, what do they call them things when the kids go out? Field trips, field trips. But when they take a field trip, you got all these guys carrying 
weapons or I mean nasty weapons like rocket launchers and machine guns and weird stuff like that and we run into a trip up or a group up by Galilee the Sea of Galilee and, and I asked him about it and uh, I said you know what everywhere I go you know I see your kids um, they're a serious bunch of armed guards around um, and I mean some of your armed guards don't look like they're old enough to drive but you know they got a there. and he says our single greatest resource is our children that's all we got. He says, that's it. He says, when a school sends out a group of Israeli kids, the military is notified. And whenever they're out, the military is within any striking distance of any group that would try to harm them kids. And you just sit there and go, whoa. And I mean, if you've ever been on a military base, that's what Israel feels like. I mean, you guys got guys. I was raised... But my dad was in the Marine Corps, and we would go to Camp Lejeune or Camp Pendleton a couple of times. And, and you got guys just cruising around in tanks and Jeeps and pig trucks and all kinds of, you know, just stuff you just don't run into on the interstate. Okay? And that's what Israel is, the nation. I mean, you're just cruising along, and your bus starts passing, and you look out, and there's a bunch of guys in a tank cruising up the road. And you're just like, well, there you go. How about that? Okay, so, but that is their resource. And if you look through scripture, you see this here in Exodus that these midwives God was good to because of what? And, and when I watch people say, well, they lied and God was good to them. That's, that's not the issue. The issue was that they were keeping, they, they honored God because of their fear, their reverence for God. They, did they lie? I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't know if there's ever been a scientific study that says that Jewish women do not labor long in childbirth. I don't know if anybody's done that. Um, but these midwives claim that the uh, Hebrew women were vigorous. I love that word. It's New American Standard. I don't even know what that means. I mean, I know what it means, but it seems odd to use vigorous in childbirthing. But anyway, that's what the Word of the Lord says. They give birth before the midwife can get there. Verse 20. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. So do you see what's happening? They're raising their hand against the Jews, and it doesn't have a purpose. Now, if you remember, this kind of goes against the Ten Commandments movie. Because it showed them all suffering and dying and laying around and all the rest of it. God says they were, they were doing good. They were doing good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, being slave labor is probably not, you know, sign me up. Uh, it was very bitter. It was afflicting. But he managed to keep the people. It, it's, I kind of liken it to what the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Um, their shoes never wore out. I, what? I mean, you're being punished, but I'm going to make sure your shoes don't wear out. And you still get a cloud during the day so you don't have to walk in the sun. And then you get a fire at night so you don't freeze in the desert. I'm still looking out for you, but you just sort of go, what? Okay, but that is the mercy of God. Okay, it came about because the midwives feared God that he established households for them. Okay, what does that mean? Families. Families for the midwives. Okay? They had families. Alright? Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, 
and every daughter you are to keep alive. Okay, so you see what happens here. There's an escalation. Okay, they forget. There's, there's two lines in this thing. One is, why didn't the Jews go back to Canaan on their own? Okay? And I think it's the same thing that you and I deal with. We get comfortable. I'm kind of comfortable here. This is working well. I'll just cruise right through here. Well, but you have this land that I promised. Ah, you know, golly, I'd have to pack up the kids, sell the house, pack up all the furniture, get a donkey, a little cart, and I've got to drive across the desert. And it'd be just a big, serious pain. I'll just stay here. All right? So there's a complacency that you see in the nation of Israel. But there's also this side that the different generations of Pharaoh start thinking that it ain't the Jews doing it, it's us. We're a great power. We don't need these people. And then they look at it and say, hey, cheap labor. Cheap labor. And if I make them weak and I keep them oppressed, I don't have to worry about them. I mean, if we get into some kind of military conflict, I don't have to worry about them raising up against me. All right, so you see both lines, and yet even with both lines, both mentalities working, God is still sovereign. And the population explodes. Okay? He starts out with trying to beat them into weakness. He moves from there to have midwives kill the children, the male children. Uh, so that they will integrate into the Egyptian society. That doesn't work. And so then he says, every son who is born, you are to be cast into the Nile, and every daughter you'll keep alive. That sets the foundation for what we'll move into in chapter 2 through 4. Okay, And this will be um, the maturing of Moses, and we'll cover this next Saturday. But I wanted you to see this because there, this pattern you see in chapter 1 I can show you throughout history. I can through the Assyrian captivity. I can show you through the Medo-Persian captivity. I can show you through the Babylonian captivity. I can show you through the Greek captivity. I can show you through the Roman captivity. It's always the same. It always is the same. And it just keeps going down and going down and going down and going down. All right? It hasn't changed. It's the way men are. It's the way men are. And even when you have the influence of Yahweh... True God, through a people, even a captive people. Even with that happens. Shortly after the captivity, the people think it's them. And um, I believe that that's the course that our country is in. It looks just like, no, we're not Israel. We don't have the promises of Israel. That's not what I'm saying. But we were a country that was founded on, a, on God. And then whether they, you know, well, I think there was a, no, read it. Read it. Read the paperwork. It's not that hard to say, well, these guys believed in God. Yes. Which one? The Bible. It wasn't complicated. Gee, many crickets. I mean, I remember having to do that. And they just don't teach government anymore. Anyway, but what happens to us? We start drifting away. I see the same thing in the church today. We have a building program. We, we'll have a, what do they call them things? Stuart, stewardship drive thing. Why? So we will do what? Build a church for God. 
A motive is honorable. Who gets credit for it? Well, we'll give credit to God, really. Will we? I have yet to see it. May, may verbalize it. But that, that's one of the things that when I see church growth plans, everyone, they'll always say, start out with prayer. Okay? Well, if you're going to grow the church, you probably ought to have been doing that before you even thought about a church growth plan. That's kind of the way I look at it. Okay? And the other thing is, didn't he say he was going to do that? So I don't really need to be involved in it. Do I? No. God says, I will build my church, and the abode of the dead can't stop it. What do we do? We do the same thing that Pharaoh does. Look at what we did. And we'll hear God. You know what? I'm convinced that God has no use for our buildings. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're nice. They're, they, have, they are an asset. But when you really think about it, is that the church? No. But what does the average Christian in America, when he looks at a church, what is the first thing they look for? The building. And what do they have in it? What is there for me? And maybe I can add to it and we'll have, and we'll have a wing of it and we'll name it after. You know, I remember seeing pews that had, you could buy a pew in, in memory of somebody. And I thought, well, that's cute. I'm a bench. Okay? It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. God says, I'm going to do it. And I'll do it in spite of you. Okay? So our foundation is laid. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 2, we see the birth of a, a child of the tribe of Levi. Of a daughter of Levi. And uh, we all know about the little basket and the blanket. And down he floats to Pharaoh's daughter. Let's pray. Father, I give you praise for this. And Lord, uh, I, I, I just see so much wisdom in just this one chapter. And, j- and just so, so few, so just 22 verses. And yet, Father, um, you gave this to us by uh, our dear friend, dear brother, Moses. Uh, that we may see your faithfulness. And yet, Father, we draw to you tonight. Because it is you, and it is you alone. Um, your plan is on target. Your plan is on track. And Father, you are helping us. Uh, Father, let us be sensitive to your spirit. Let us be sensitive to what you're doing, to your glory, and to your praise. And Father, let us get out of the way that you may do it, and that you get full glory for it. I just praise you for what you've done already. It's just, it's just amazing to me. And yet, my King, our Lord, our Savior, uh, so many, so many this day want to touch the glory. Father, it's yours. We are but earthen vessels. Help us to bow before you. Help us to decrease as you increase. To your glory and to your praise. In Christ's precious name. Amen.